Nelson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, If we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety, the podcast. Uh, I'm Tom Rutledge, and uh, with me is Dr. Alan Berger. uh, I, I missed I missed one recording session with you. I missed you guys. I felt I felt I felt lost when I went, when I realized, oh, my God, they're playing without me. Well, we didn't even get a chance to play without you. I ended up having to get an emergency appointment with the doctor to address this ongoing chronic bronchitis that seems to have kicked in since my asthma flared up again. So we you we were we didn't meet without you, Tom. So oh, this is our. This is our I, 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 I want to go, go on record as saying I hate the reason. I'm so sorry. That I know, it's not a good reason, but it was necessary. I had to tell Patrick, look, I got an appointment. I got to go see the doc. It was going to be virtual. We thought we were going to be able to do it. But she said, I need to see you in person because she needed to listen to the lungs. Yep. She said the air is not flowing like it's supposed to. <laughs> no, I, I, I can. Pre- I, I worked with a, I worked with a, a physician uh, that I've told you guys about the some pain stuff I had several years ago. And one of the things that he talked about, he said, he said, one of the biggest problems we have in medicine is doctors have stopped touching their patients. You know, and, and it's like, so I always appreciate it when the doctor wants to be in the same room with me. Yeah, no, it was good. And it was necessary so that she could. Yeah get a good sense of where I was standing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So, but I'm excited. Look, we, what we left off with is starting to talk about philosophy and emotional sobriety and trying to put what we're doing in a bigger philosophical position. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was uh, talking a little bit before the show today and, you know, as I've been looking at the different positions, I do think that we fit, in existentialism. Let, let me read the, the, a, a very basic definition of it. Okay. So this is existentialism is a philosophical theory that emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent determining their own development through acts of will and beliefs. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that our discussion and our exploration of emotional sobriety really explores our our human existence, right? Our mm-hmm. Walt Kempler used to say it: mm-hmm. our experience of human comma being instead of being a human being, a human mm-hmm. comma being, because that's what we are. We're being, and I know you did some writing about this, and Patrick and I are are excited to hear it. Well, what are your thoughts? I appreciate. It. Well, this is this is this is. Uh, I'll say I'll say to you guys, and I'll say to, to anyone listening. This is this is uh, uh, hot off the press of, of my brain. So I, I just 
Well, you know, I do everything. You know, you always say I'm the I'm the ready, fire, aim guy. You know, it's like <laughs> you know, I, I, I decided, you know, a few minutes before our thing. Oh, we're going to be talking about philosophy. I think I'll write something about it. And of course, it turned out to be a little bit longer, but just a couple of pages here. I'm going to bring it up on my, my screen so I can read it to you. And it kind of fits in, Alan, you know, you and I've talked about my exploding God uh, theory, you know, the, the idea that what it what it just it's just one of those what ifs. What if what if what if the Big Bang was just God just exploded and we're all little pieces of God and we're you know we're like little little I always think about the Mer- Mercury. You remember we weren't supposed to play with as kids when the oh, God, I broke. love playing with that. <laughs> <laughs> but you know how the little blobs, certain places they just they just become one. You know, it's like I'm so I see us as all maybe trying to make our way back to the middle. But um, and uh, but here's here's what this is. This says psychology is the study of how our minds work. Philosophy pans back for a much bigger picture, uh, an expansive view that inspires us to wonder how the whole fucking universe works. Philosophy is often more about developing good questions, not so much so we can discover the right answers, but just questions that are good company, questions that are magnetic in that, that they attract information, ideas, thoughts, even other questions. For me, in the 1990s, I became aware of self-indulgence in recovery, uh, in myself, in my community, and in my clients. We were, were we just learning to take care of ourselves for its own sake? I became aware of the arrogance of my own recovery. I was, uh, I was better than my family. I was better than the families of my friends and of my clients. I had become a fundamentalist. I had become what I despised in some of the more religious friends of mine. I was right and others were wrong, not subjectively, but objectively. So I confronted myself with that. So the question showed up, as questions will do, why are we recovering? Is it really for its own sake? I had, I had an idea that's not original to me, but that I liked better. And that is that we are all component parts of a much greater whole that we were healing, repairing, rehabbing our way back to rejoin or maybe join for the first time the whole so that we cannot just feel better, but that we would be better so that we can become better people, more self-sufficient for sure, but also better at letting our guards down, better at being vulnerable, better at connecting and collaborating with others. A balance of giving and receiving just seemed like a good idea. Especially fond, I was especially fond of that place I call the big connection, the place called humility, where we are, where we are neither better nor worse than one another. We are all individuals, but we're all part of a whole. Looking at all this through the lens of emotional sobriety, gratitude to you, to you, Alan, in terms of taking us through this on our third in the Thursday night group it take looking at it through the lens of emotional sobriety and specifically during this time of our history, our world's history, I can, I can see how each of our individual recovery paths can become models for a bigger recovery, uh, a recovery perhaps in all caps. The human condition is in pain, in distress. The human condition ex- experience is experiencing confusion, It's lost, it's drunk, it's addicted, it's obsessed, it's selfish, it's narrow-minded. The collective human experience does what we have all done as individual component parts. It oversimplifies what is extremely complex, and it makes what should be simple complicated to the point of contamination. 
the human experience exactly as we individually have done, and of course still do, misses not all, but a lot of points. Last paragraph, there is, there is room inside of this way of looking at ourselves uh, individually and as the, the human experience as a whole for any number of individual belief systems. Uh, what I don't want this to be is be describing a, a new belief system intended to be one of those belief systems. This is my work in progress attempt to depict a broad enough yet specific enough problem definition so that we can work together to support one another's individual recovery practices and just maybe contribute to the all caps recovery. There you go. That's what I got. Love it. Thank you. I love it. Thanks for <laughs> thanks for listening. And 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 by the way, if anybody, uh, I know I know uh, uh, Patrick, you and I've had conversations about this. If anybody, if anybody out there is a writer and 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 has has feeling a vulnerability of putting something out there like that, that's that's a I, I was going to put my give myself some credit for that to be able to do that with you guys uh, and, and put it out there and say, okay, let's let's record it too before I've ever had a chance to really edit it is uh, it it, it, it kind of hurts my chest, but I, but I'm. I, I, I felt good enough about the thoughts. I wanted to do that. So thanks for inviting me to do it. Absolutely. Um, I, uh, the, the idea of going into recovery with one set of intentions and then, you know, rediscovering a purpose partway through, I relate to that. And also, yeah, just kind of building on, you know, I think in the beginning, I just wanted the pain to stop. And then more ideas have come to me along the way. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. I mean, I'm sure, Alan, you probably have done this too. I tell people all the time, as far as, especially when we're talking about getting into recovery from really anything, but I'm thinking about specifically about alcohol and drug abuse. It's like, I don't care what motivates you at first. Right. You know, I don't, I really don't. You know, people say, oh, you can't go to treatment until you're going for yourself. And they're like, well, no, we don't wait for that. We just, you know, if, if, if the judge has told you you need to go or go to jail, or if your wife is going to leave you, if you don't go, then please, that's a perfectly good motiv motivator to get you in there because there's going to, there's going to be time for that motivation to shift. But you're right, Alan. I never, I didn't think about it in terms of the existentialism, but, but when I was writing that, but it does, it does, it does sort of fit into that, doesn't it? Well, it does. And because, look, we're talking about existence and all of the issues of emotional sobriety have to do with, you know, um, first of all, taking responsibility for our experience. You know, you and I are big proponents of that. Um, we advocate for that all the time. And, you know, even Bill said that recently. I mean, he was talking about in this in this article he wrote in 1960 about um, about freedom. And what he talked about is that, you know, we have three choices in our life. You know, we can not do the work, which he says that's, you know, there's a consequence for each one of these things. If you don't do the work, he says it's a sure, sure path to destruction. He says you can do the work half-assed. And he says that's a, that is a recipe for mediocrity. And he says that's going to limit the benefit you get from your experience. We would say that's not full recovery. Says, or you can go ahead and really strive for what he called uh, 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 developing a certain spirit 
an action in your recovery that has mm-hmm. to do with going in and really doing the work that we've been talking about. Yeah. And he says, that's the choice that we need to take. And he says, when you take that choice, you let go of all rationalizations for your behavior. You don't blame your behavior on inheritance. You don't blame it on life experiences in your past. You don't blame it on you know, situations surrounding you, he says, you give up being a victim. Mm-hmm. And that becomes such an important criteria. And that is one way. I mean, if you listen to the existentialist, their, their big statement, they disagree in terms of some of the th- ideas about this, but they all say that we are responsible for the existence that we're creating. And there is no better way to think about it. I loved what Nathaniel Brandon said one time. He says, he says, we create ourselves by what we're willing to take responsibility for. Oh, man, I hadn't heard that one hadn't jumped out at me before. I love that. Isn't that say, a great say, one? say it again. That we, we create ourselves by what we are willing to take responsibility for. That's so if I don't take responsibility for myself, and I blame my situation on other people, I become a victim. Now, mm-hmm. Tom and I want those people that have been victimized. We are not saying that people haven't been victimized because a lot of people are in Ukraine are being victimized by, mm-hmm. by Putin right now. Mm-hmm. We know there's victims out there. There's We know that people are. But each and every one of them now ha- are challenged with how do they deal with what's going on? That's the essence of emotional sobriety, how I take responsibility for the experience I'm having and how do I deal with, like in Ukraine, these refugees. I mean, my God, their life is turned upside down, upside down. And some of them you see deflated, depressed. They don't know what to do. And others have now are focused on I've got to put my life together. We got to make the best of what we got going on because we don't have a choice. It's a. Well, I, think, I think this is really important that we make that distinction for the emotional sobriety thing too. Is the idea that when we're we're not when we're talking about not being a victim, we're not we're you know and and maybe I'm just stating the obvious, but I think it's worth restating. It's we're not we're not denying any of the things that have happened to us or to us to you to any anybody. Well, we're this is truly about about the fact that we can only move forward from the present moment is <laughs> it's, it's, it's like it's a matter of this is a matter of of the old the old uh you know uh, wh- you know i would say learn from the past and get the hell out of there this is about the idea is 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 you can we we can all spend and we will i mean i'll do it before the day is out i'm sure spend time you know fretting or, or worrying about something that, that i don't have anything to, i can't control it at all because it happened yesterday or the day before and it's like but what we what, what we're teaching with that and what we're trying to what we're learning on a daily basis ourselves is that's wasted energy because it can't be used it's like it's just it's just leaked energy. So so the idea is when we're saying not be a victim, what it means is you gather up all the information about what you what has happened to you, including ways that you were victimized in the in the past. Uh, and you decide, how am I going to proceed from here? 
Yes. You know, and, and especially like I always, always like to never miss an opportunity to quote Bob Subby with from his book, Lost in the Shuffle, uh, talking about childhood uh, um, abuse and, and neglect. He says, you know, as, as children were victims, as adults were volunteers. And I, and I love that because it says it's such a it's such a simple sentence, but it's it's like it makes because the truth is what I always tell people is, is as we when we grow up, we all become inner child abusers. You know, we all we all figure out ways to to take over the, the you know, so that we, we may still keep projecting it out and think other people are doing it to us. But as adults, it's like, you know, what I realized when I first did inner child work is, um, you know, it, it, I mean, I literally the first time I did a visualization with inner child work, the, the, the inner child was supposed to be walking down the road and seeing me and come up to me. And that and, and my inner child literally t- saw me turn around and ran. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's like because in later in, in a dialogue in that same treatment experience, uh, he's, 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 he said, basically, I know who you are. And what he meant was, I, you know, because at that point in my life, I was I was the drunk guy who was always abandoning him. Hey, who's that? I think that was Cece. <laughs> well, Cece, what do you think about this? She just ran out of the room. Oh, she, <laughs> she had something to say. I love yeah. it. Yeah, no, you're right on about that, Tom. It's it's really a and look, it's it's a hard perspective because you know, one of the things that happens with when you are a victim of child abuse, you've had an adverse childhood experience, you do feel disempowered and yeah. helpless and powerless. We're we're not saying those feelings are wrong. They're not. Mm. They're there, but they're not your only possibility. Right. See, there are some ways to work through this. Look at that's one of the, the reasons when when those people doing a lot of work with 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 people that have been traumatized started using the phrase, and I'm so so glad to hear it, post-traumatic mm-hmm. growth. Mm-hmm. That they yeah. focused on the growth that was possible. They focused on in terms of being able to digest the experience, you know, go through it, sort it out, take from it what will grow you and leave the rest behind. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what I love about your saying. Go go into the past and learn as much as you can from it, then get the hell out of there. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. what you want to do. You want to process it. You want to digest it. You want to shout the shouts that you never had. You want to cry mm-hmm. the tears you never cried. You know, you and I have done this with many patients. Mm-hmm. We want them to go back and experience the experiences that they didn't get to have because it mm-hmm. wasn't safe. And right. therapy is great for creating what what I like to call as a safe emergency. Is that mm-hmm. we help people now really confront things that were scary, that scared them to death but in the context of some support so that they can now have a new experience with, with what, with what happened to them. Yeah, exactly. No, you know, not and, even, and, and, go ahead, Patrick, cause I was going to refer to something you said earlier. Go ahead. Oh yeah. No, I just wanted to say um, not even just in terms of trauma, but uh, when we talk about victimhood um, for example, my, uh, my girlfriend has a lot of very real, uh, daily stress because her boss exploits her and, you know, um, has cut her pay during the pandemic and, uh, you know, she busts her ass and, um, the company's turning in, turning in major profits, but, uh, 
none of that uh, value is really trickling down to her. And that's what I would call like, you know, that's not, that's not a real grievance. That's uh, you know, something that grinds a person down day in, day out. But I think the emotional sobriety piece is she has a, a range of choices within that, that she can make to kind of rewrite the script on that experience. And it doesn't negate the, uh, the wound that she's receiving from this exploitation, but there's a, there's a way to flip that and to kind of become, you know, have more agency right within that, uh, that damage and to kind of move through it and come out of it. And, And I think that's, for me, that that's how I see emotional sobriety as being like a, right. An opportunity to get, to give power to somebody who doesn't have it. Right. So let's look at that situation. Cause that's a good one. Um, the first step in that is if you take that personally and which it sounds like she does, right. She takes it very personally. You shouldn't be doing this to me. Right. How can you do this to me? That objection now sends our energy off in the wrong direction, right? So whenever I'm objecting to what's happening, I'm not dealing with it. Now, I'm not saying that we don't have to go through the objection because you do. You know, what did Blake say? If a fool persists in his folly long enough, he'll become wise. (laughs) You know, if a fool persists in his folly long enough, he'll become wise. But you have to be able to say this stuff. You shouldn't do this to me. You know, this shouldn't be happening to me. You know, if you say that and can listen to it and challenge, why am I claiming this special status? See, that can lead to the humility Tom was talking about. Mm -hmm. Why isn't it happening to me? Why do I think that I'm special and this shouldn't be the case? And, you know, I've had that many times. I mean, you know, there's many situations that happen that I object to. But what I found by looking at those things and I'm, when I make myself a victim of those, I just end up depressed. I end up anxious. I end up disempowered. Mm-hmm. I end up not learning how to cope. I, I, I'm pretty good at throwing a self-pity party. I mean, if I ever invited <laughs> you to one, you should come to one of those. They're quite they're so much, they're so much they're better so much, when you're by yourself. They it's are like, so much better. That's right, because other people fuck those up, don't they? They, they, they really, just mess yeah, up because they, they come they, in with yeah. reasonable they, stuff. Or, or, right? you know, if you my know. wife comes to one of mine, she, she she has you know she has some need of her own. Oh my god, it's like <laughs> that, it's, it's like ah. But but let, let me add something to what you're saying though too, because I think this is so important, and I think it fits into something we were talking about before. Is is Anybody listening that that hears any of that say, saying that that when you say don't take it personally, let's, it's such a it's such an important concept to, to to come to understand. It doesn't mean, and and you said this, but I want to reiterate it. It's like it doesn't mean that when you say something is unfair that it's that that you're wrong. It's like no, it's right. it's. Right. I mean, I, around that stuff, it's like it's not that that's not. That's of course it's yes that makes perfect sense. I did the math myself. That's that's unfair. That should that should, you know in, in the in the world of if we're, we're we're looking in a world of ethics, you know we're going like no that that should not be. That's 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 a mistake. The the place where you're saying where we hold ourselves as 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 separate or what makes us special in that way is is that 
is is that we are particularly offended that it's happening to us. But but the idea is, I mean, it's, it's really kind of a, a bit of a cynical view to, to, that we need. It actually helps us, which is which is no. Lots of people get this. You know, we're not alone in this. It's, it's like there are, you know, there we can share. We can sit around and share stories all day long about about how we're how people are mistreated and how how we're mistreated, that kind of stuff. It's like and again, it's not about it's, it's, it's you know, emotional sobriety. I know what I was going to say before. Emotional sobriety is not about and you make this point a lot, Alan. It's not about being, you know, cheery, cheery, happy, happy. It's about being congruent. It's like it's like so the idea when you're talking about somebody who's in a place where they're being treated unfairly and they're and they one of the things I would let people know is they say, well, how do you feel about that? Well, I'm pissed off about it. Go like, okay, well, that seems that seems reasonable. (laughs) I would be, too. That's not that's that's not all by itself. Just having just being pissed off about doesn't. I mean, that's that's just the emotional response that is sane in that situation. Right. It takes you to the next place. What are you going to do next with it? It's not, you know, we're not saying to people, you shouldn't be bothered by this. You shouldn't, you shouldn't, you know, you shouldn't notice that these things are happening. It's like, no, it's just, it's always, and it goes back to what I was saying before. It's always about everything's about what we can do moving from here forward. Yeah. Accepting it. And Rogers tells us this all the time. And I think, I think it's, it's part, partly his Nathaniel Brandon influence of, of the ex. And I love this line that, that I first heard from Roger. And I don't know if it's original to him or not, but it's like, I, 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 I attribute it to him and it is acceptance is always the first step to change. It's yep. like, I love that. It's like and acceptance never, you know, always want to tell people this acceptance doesn't mean I, I, I like it. As right. a matter of fact, if you like something, you really don't have to work at accepting it. That's right. You know what I mean? It's like, it's well, like that's, a, true. that's a good point. Right. right. If I, it, to hear that. If you like right. it, it's not an issue of accepting. You just take it as it is. Yeah. I well, accept, you know, basically, you know, if I want to, if I want to go, you know, I mean, it's a stupid, silly analogy, but it's like, if I want to leave this house after we finish doing th- this recording, I, you know, and, and, but I don't want to go downstairs, you know, then I'm in trouble because that means I would have to jump off the balcony out back here. It's like, you know, and, and it's like the truth is that is the way to do this. I'm going to go down those, that staircase. I'm going to walk through the house. I'm going to go this. I'm going to go out. We, so we practice acceptance in silly, stupid, normal ways every day because we just do, you know, we, you know, we, why do I drive to work? Because it's too far to walk. You know, I accept that. It's like, but we don't think about it in those terms, but that's the same. It's the same process of acceptance. It's like, there's nothing I can do about it. I don't need to, to put any energy into this anymore. The piece for me that I was really getting in touch with this morning when I was writing that, that was, was I was just revisiting. And I think you're, the whole emotional sobriety, uh, the 12 step thing through the Thursday group has, has been so, I know it has, it's been so impactful for me in, in that way is, is to revisit all of that, that I experienced sort of, you know, the late nineties, you know, is in terms of coming back to that question of why do we recover? Yeah. You know, you know, it, 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 uh, it, you know, it actually, I go back to uh, you, you may get this, uh, Alan, but I know, I know Patrick will, you know, the question in, in one of the, in the, the Christian Bale Batman movies, the father asked, why do we fall down? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Why do we fall down? So we so can we learn, can to, learn pick to pick ourselves up, right? Up. That's right. And it's, it's that too. It's, it's, it's that we can learn to pick ourselves up. Yeah. Not necessarily so that we could learn for somebody to come rescue us. But so we can learn to pick ourselves up. Yeah. 
And that's really, in in many ways, that's the essence of emotional sobriety, Mm -hmm. is learning to cope with what is. You know, Bill had it. I mean, he understood it. He says, when I expect life to conform or other people to conform to my expectations, he says, I put the cart before the horse. And this Mm -hmm. proved to be an impossible way of life because Mm -hmm. I had to now, what do you call it? The actor who wanted to be the director. I wanted Mm -hmm. to direct everybody's actions, everything on the set, every scene to go my way. And they don't. They don't. It's not going to happen. Sometimes it will enjoy it when it does. But when you Mm -hmm. expect that that's going to be the standard, we're in Mm -hmm. trouble. We're in trouble. And I come back to what, what so many, what the lesson that when men go through a male initiation, right, always one of the lessons across the board is that life is going to be difficult. Mm-hmm. And Scott Peck said it in his book. First, first, I, first in the book. sentence, life is difficult. He captured the essence of what all of us feel, but no one wanted to accept that as the baseline. If that's the baseline, mm-hmm. then when it's difficult, you say, oh, yeah, that's, this is what it's supposed to be. And then when you enjoy it, say, oh, this won't last. I'll I'll enjoy it while it's here, but I'm not going to expect that it stays this way. And that idea that we want things to stay a certain way when we feel good, we want things to be a certain way because that's when we felt okay is so seductive. Right. But, you know, the other the other piece I'm thinking about right this very moment is is the idea that that it this the emotional sobriety is it's all about it's, it's I'm thinking about what, what, what Patrick just said. In ter- oh my God, I'm beginning to mix you guys up. Oh, I'm telling you, oh like that's not good. We had five kids in my family. My dad had this ability to call every, especially if he was mad, he could call every, every wrong name before he got to the last one. How do, we, even as kids, we used to go, how do you do that? It's like, <laughs> that's impossible. But what, what, uh, what Patrick just said about the, the, the uh, cause I, I would have, I would have misquoted it uh, about the Batman line, which is the, so we can learn to pick ourselves up. Is, is the idea. It is about self-empowerment. It's like when I, so what I was doing, my little therapy, I was doing myself as you were, as I was listening to what you were saying is I'm going, okay. So, so the truth about me right now, as I sit here now, it doesn't mean I don't have uh, issues. It doesn't mean I don't have anxieties. It's like, what's different for me. I mean, I'm going to use anxiety in particular, because I think it's, it's a one that most people can identify with. What's different for me today than, than used to be different for me is, is, you know, I understand what I can, I can tell you what the anxiety is and I can tell you it's I'm experiencing that because of either, you know, because of something that I, you know, I am not, I have not chosen to get that done. For instance, it's like, you know, uh, you know, it's like, I have, I, I, I need to have this done. It's not done. It's up to me. I know that I can actually solve that problem yeah. right now by doing the thing that I'm anxious about doing. Okay. I also know I'm not going to do that today. Okay. So, so th- what does that mean? Well, that means I'm okay. Well, Tom, you understand you get to keep the anxiety, you know? Yeah. Okay. I- I'll try not to, fo- I'll be- so my God, my- what, what's, what am I really doing? Well, I'm going to try not to focus on it. I'm going to, it's a pretty day. I'm going to go outside and play with my dog and, and maybe, maybe trim some rose bushes and things like that. But the truth is the reason the anxiety will still be there is because I'm not doing anything with it. Yeah. Not because not because of the the existence of the of the responsibility or not because of somebody else. It's simply my choice. Yes. You know, and that's it. 
It's like, and it's, you know, and when we, and we get there at God, the, the freedom of, of letting go of perfection as, as, as a goal for anything. I mean, that's, I mean, that's, we probably need to talk more about that as we go along because, because, you know, people who, you know, as we know, people who don't even think of themselves as perfectionists, you got somebody in there that's doing a number on you still. It's a, it's a ridiculous expectation. So central to my uh, struggle with addiction, I think, is my perfectionist mm-hmm. voice. Because, we hold ourselves to ridiculous yeah. standards. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it, it only took me about, you know, 20 years to realize just how, uh, you know, talk about unreasonable. I mean, I don't think mm-hmm. I've ever, I don't think I've ever made my perfectionist happy. Yeah. Not, well, not once. Well, you know what? Well, you know what Alan and I call 20 years. We call you a fast learner. <laughs> that's right <laughs> that's so true <laughs> no you've never that's that's a beautiful thing that's a beautiful point too it's like when is when we ask somebody okay when is the last time you remember your perfectionist saying well buddy i know that was tough but i'm so proud of you you know it's like no it's like colonel von <laughs> colonel von trapp with the whistle you know <laughs> <laughs> that's <laughs> true there's a movie reference for everything and patrick's got them all I know, even, though, even, the, even the old movies that i don't expect young yeah. because he's because because he because of what he does and who he is it's like i love it yeah and my and you know this perfectionist doesn't become really nice and uh you know Mm-mm. you know mary fraulein maria at the end no he, no he just no, stays an asshole He's just, yeah, I mean, I think that's really, I mean, I think, I think it's so important for us when we talk about, you know, getting in touch with the differentiating the, the sort of the saboteurs in our, in our heads is to, is, is to realize, you know, we really are playing out interpersonally exactly what we very often have a history of playing out interpersonally, which is we're always trying to please the, the, the person that is least likely to be pleased by us. Yeah, that's right. You know, you know, who, who do you, who, you know, think about that in terms of relationships, people, we, we all, most of us have have that experience of like, here's three people and two people really like me. The other person doesn't like me so much. So what I'm doing is I'm focused on that person. I want that person to like me. Yeah. You know, why is that? It's like, you got two over here. It's like, you know, it's like, well, you know, somehow I got that voice that says that, well, that's not, that's not a challenge. So you, you know, you have to, you have to, you have to make something happen that is outside of your control is what really the perfectionist is saying. The philosophy or as you say existentialism um of the piece by abstracting some of these ideas it it gives you practical notions of how to you know Mm -hmm. how to move through that framework right yeah you need both kind of you know you need to be able to abstract it and to kind of like go into space and figure out how to where those connections meet right well, and and you guys could probably see because you were you, we were in together in the Thursday group when when uh, we we talked about this, but but when we talked about uh, uh, when Herb was talking about uh, you know the the spiritual awakening part of that, and you know that's that's where I got this piece because I was talking about my experience with the spiritual awakening was about perspective, was about getting the bigger picture, and and to and and that really helped clarify that for me that that is. It's 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 not a you know like you were talking about it's not like you were you were making the point, uh, uh, Alan that you know this is not you know it's not oh good it's over I'm 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 now awakened and enlightened it's like it's like no it's it's actually a, a space that we come and go from 
You know, that, now that, what I think is different for me today than has been in the past is I actually have, I can with, there could be days where I'm having a hard time doing that, but for the most part, I can, with my own choice, my volition, I can move to a, to a, to that space. Yeah. I can, I can, I can challenge myself to say, you know, or one of you could, if I'm missing the point and I've got, and I'm too tunnel vision and I'm telling you about something, you, you know, you can say, okay, well, Tom, back up, you know, take a look at this, the whole picture here for a second. And I know how to do that. And that's what the recovery is, is actually just, and it's more, you know, it's what, it's what Patrick is saying. Then what do you get from that? Well, you get more, more ways of thinking and tools to basically deal with the here and now. Yes. And I liked the when you when you tied this into freedom, Tom, because I talk about that all the time. Mm-hmm. This is freedom, freedom from our perfectionism. Yep. You know, freedom from these demands that we make on other people, mm-hmm. freedom from our expectations, freedom from all of these unenforceable rules that we have about how we should be and life should be. You know, I, I say that the real freedom is from all these should demands. It's that we live a life free of shoulds. And people look at me and say, God, is that really possible? Don't you have to do things that you don't want to do? And I say, no, you Mm -hmm. don't. I don't do things I don't want to do. They say, how do you do that? I say, if I'm confronted with something I don't want to do, I find if, if I search to see if I can find a good reason to do it, if I can't find that good reason, I don't do it. The guy says, how about going to work? You know, do you want to go to work all the time? I said, look, yes. I mean, I do. But even when I was the shipping and receiving clerk and it wasn't the greatest job in the world, I wanted to go to work because I wanted the paycheck. Mm hmm. Yeah. So well, I see, that's the deal. Things. That is that that I love this uh, the the whole idea of dealing with motivation because I actually you know I think that a, a huge huge amount of what we do is is help people with motivation. It's like you know when I have uh, like if I'm work I'm working with a if I'm working with an anorexic client who's yeah. you know and I, I and uh, and I know that they're I've done this on many occasions at this point. I know that they are really committed to their recovery and and they're saying i don't want to eat one of the things i do to make the point is i'll say but you do want to eat and she'll look at me like like you're not paying attention at all tom it's like it's, it's like i go like i like then i just basically go and we've we've talked about this one before i think is the idea is nobody wants to have chemotherapy Okay. Nobody, nobody says I'd like to have some chemotherapy. It's like, you know, but you say, I want to, I want to, I want to get beyond this cancer. Go like, okay, I promise you, you want chemotherapy. You know, it's, it's, it's like you, you, you know, you, so what I tell the person is like, I want you rather than tiptoeing around it, you need to get to the place. I think you need to get to the place where you can say, I want to eat because I want to live. I want to eat because I want the freedom. It's like, it's like, you don't have to want to eat because you like it as much as I do. You know, not many people like to eat as much as I do. Well, to me, that's to, to me, that's the magic of therapy or what it can accomplish is that you help people right to navigate these like conversations that are many of them unconscious mm-hmm. that are going mm-hmm. on and you know, help give people the language to like interrogate, you know, what do I really want? You know, right. 
So, so they can make a choice about what am I willing yeah, to do? Yeah, when well, you say interrogate, you almost have to cross-examine sometimes some of those some of those characters in, in there. It's like it's, and I, I do the same thing with with divorce. You know, it's like having you know having been having you know personally been divorced. It's like I'm going like nobody nobody in their right mind wants a divorce. Right. You know. The, so the so if you're if you're trying to make a decision about whether to stay or go from a relationship, you that's not the question to be asking. The question to be asking is is more specifically, do you want to not be married to this person and how and and how you know the way the pros and cons of that because yes. because because you know there are a lot of us. I'm one of those that, that basically probably wanted a divorce. I mean, I wanted to be not married. Uh, recognized the mistake that I'd made. Uh, long before I ever actually did anything about divorce because, because I didn't want to get a divorce because, because divorce sucks. You know, but it's, it, it, it is, it is a matter of how, but what you're saying, Patrick is how you, and anybody who's ever had a conversation with Alan knows this because he, he can, I mean, you, this is where I I'm okay with a deck of cards, but Alan, Alan can, Alan does his magic when he's talking to somebody like that. And it's fun to watch the other people, the other person realize that he, he just took what they, you know, here, hand me that, hand me this, ta-da, look at that. And it's like, it's, you know, it's a different thought, you know, you go, but they, but they own it. You know, it's like, it's not like they're for, you're forcing it on them. You, you kind of walked them through it to the place where it's like, Oh, okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't know. I thought that. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And now yeah. I won't be able to get out of my head, him doing mental balloon animals, you know, with my, <laughs> with my emotions. <laughs> uh, Here's a giraffe. Yeah. He's it's just like, got like a little cart that he pushes around with the, yeah. Well, it's so funny that, that uh, Jeffrey Zeig, who's the architect of the evolution of psychotherapy conference, mm -hmm. the, uh, director of the Milton Erickson Foundation mm -hmm. in Arizona. Um, he said when he first met Erickson, you know, he uh, he wow, was sitting right outside. Right. Have you ever heard the story about he, no, he, I haven't heard the story. I don't know the story, he, he but was, I love, I love he, he was about a Milton. pipe smoker, right? He was mm -hmm. a pipe smoker. Mm -hmm. And he had been wanting to stop smoking pipe. And Erickson sat outside with me. He says, you know, I know a guy that 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 smoked before. He said he was, we had some curious, curious habits. He says, you know, when he would pick up his pipe, he would worry about what part of his mouth he was going to put the pipe in. Should he put the pipe on the side? Should it be in the center of his mouth? And should it be over to the side? Then he'd worry about how he'd pack it. Should he pack it tight? or should? He, and he kept going through this whole thing about should he hold it with his right hand, with his fingers? He went into all these things. And then when, when Zyg went to go pick up his pipe, he was thinking about all this stuff and it took all the fun out of smoking. He pipe. completely contaminated it. The whole thing. In one in one it, conversation. Man. I love one that. One conversation. And it's mm -hmm. like, he says, my God, I saw that time at that moment. I saw the power of his therapy. Yeah. He says at that moment, he contaminated my relationship to that pipe to such a degree that I didn't want to smoke it ever again. Put it down okay. and I was done. Oh, that's right. He also went into which pipe do I choose? The corn cob mm -hmm. or do I do this? Mm -hmm. I mean, he just totally made him obsess over it. I love it. It was brilliant. It was brilliant. Well, and I think and I think that as therapists, that's one of the things that we do for most of us over time with somebody. I mean, the the, the genius of right. Milton Erickson, of course, was, you know, in the in the in the in the uh, the 
the thing I bought into at the time when I was studying his stuff and and and, and learning from uh, Bandler and Grinder and all these guys is is you know that that you yeah I love the idea of modeling but it's like the idea that you can become this yourself it's like no you're not we're not, he could you know ultimately I can't understood that he could do that why could he do that because he's Milton Erickson. That's right. You know, right. Just like what we, this is what I just said a minute ago. This is how you can do that is because I've witnessed Alan Berger do this. You know, yeah. it's like it's people say to me, how can you get away with making fun of people so much in therapy? <laughs> I go, because I'm me. It's it's like, because they know I, they don't take it personally because they know I'm playing. You know, yeah. it's like, but, but you know, what I tell people in training, if, if you're not, if you're not that don't try, if you're not goofy, don't try to do goofy therapy. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Well, this was a great show, guys. Um, I really thanks for thanks for letting me uh, uh, try out my new material. Well, it's great, man. It's <laughs> it's very it was very stimulating and stimulated a great discussion. And um, you know, um, I was thinking about what would be a good topic for us to to manage next time. What would be good? I don't think we could go wrong by going back to to really understanding, you know, what perfectionism really is. Yeah, let's do that. We're going to talk about perfectionism perfectly next week. Yes. <laughs> Zero mistakes. Yeah. That's Zero right. Mistakes. Okay. I'll, I'll start. <laughs> and uh, one last thing, um, Tom, I would really appreciate it if you uh, sent us uh, a text version of the writing that you read at the top of the episode. Okay, and then uh, we can let our audience uh, look at that if, if they so choose. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. All right. right. Exactly. <laughs> Lovely to see All you guys. Right. Until right. next okay. week. Tend your life. Tend your myth Cultivate your narrative With whomever you're with Then with glass in hand And children on one knee Bring some stories Bring your stories Back to me It ain't a crime To be a human Never be ashamed To be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on one knee Bring some stories, bring your stories back to me